We thank you for today. We thank you that you are in control. That even though some of these statistics are, are well, all the start statistics are heartbreaking, uh, Lord, we know that you still have a plan, and you are still redeeming, you are still saving, you are still changing, you are still transforming, and we thank you for that. We thank you that you are a God of, of, of life and a God of love. And so, Lord, I pray that as, as we take a look at your word together this morning, that you would bless our time, that uh, your words would become life within us, that you would change our hearts and change our lives through these uh, words. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just over seven years ago, CNN.com published an article updated on Sunday, February 3rd, 2013, the same day that the Super Bowl was being played. In it, the author said that by the end of the game, several players would be hailed as heroes of that game, but that that date, February 3rd, holds much more significance than that. On February 3rd, 1943, an army transport ship called the Dorchester was sailing across the freezing Atlantic Ocean on its way to bringing hundreds of U.S. soldiers to Europe to serve in World War II. Of the 900 on board, four of the men were military chaplains. When the Dorchester was about 100 miles off the coast of Greenland, a German submarine fired several torpedoes into the Dorchester. With many of the soldiers being no more than boys, chaos ensued. As the Dorchester began to quickly sink, the soldiers and the sailors began to desperately search for life jackets and lifeboats. During this chaos, these four chaplains did what good chaplains do and tried to lead the soldiers to the evacuation points, all while bolstering them with courage. One soldier who survived later recounted how these chaplains' messages of courage were the only thing that kept him going that night. Because the Dorchester had suffered too much damage and was sinking so rapidly, there were not enough life jackets readily available for all the soldiers on board. These four chaplains, upon recognizing this, removed their own life jackets and gave them to those soldiers who didn't have any. Only 230 men of the 900 on board the Dorchester survived that attack. And some of them described the scene they saw as the Dorchester plunged in, into the Atlantic. As the ship went down, these four chaplains, arms linked, stood on the deck praying until they vanished under the icy surface. Years ago, the United States Congress established that February 3rd be designated as Four Chaplains Day. Had anybody heard this before? First time I'd heard of it. Four Chaplains Day, to remember the selfless act of those men 77 years ago. These four chaplains displayed what true, real, and Christ-like love really is, going so far as to even give up their lives so that others could live. Last week, we started out with looking at practical definitions of characteristics of what love is and what love is not. And like I said, sometimes it's actually more effective to understand what something means by understanding what it's not, what it doesn't mean. 
This week, we'll again look at what love is not, and then poignantly, what love is, how Paul finishes up this section, to understand the power and the meaning of what real biblical love really is. So the first point that we come to this morning, if you, if you brought your Bible with you, the simple definition, if you brought your Bible with you, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you didn't, there should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn there. I want us all to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to start in verse 6 now, uh, this morning. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Just as we took a deeper look at what biblical patience really is and what biblical kindness really is, and if you missed that message last week that's up on our website or podcast platforms, we're going to see what the deeper meaning is behind what Paul says is unrighteousness and what he means when he says truth. The word for unrighteousness in the Greek is the word for any breaking of any of God's standards any breaking of any of God's standards. Once again, Paul probably had that disgusting sexual sin that the Corinthian congregation was openly boasting about accepting. Since this is any breaking of God's standards, however, one could extend it to include, in general, the rejoicing of any kind of injustice, the rejoicing of any kind of wickedness towards any individual. Since God is the perfection of love, love does not accept or rejoice in any kind of evil or injustice, such as abuse, whether it's physical, emotional, or mental, bullying, belittling, lying, stealing, discrimination, indulging in the sex industry, such as porn or anything else, putting anything over the value of another person, not helping someone in need when you can, or just plain selfishness, just plain self-centeredness, rejoicing in any kind of injustice or wickedness. True love does not rejoice in any of that. In connection with part of our service this morning, this is extremely tough to process. But love does not break God's standard of protecting life that is created in God's image. Love does not usurp the position that God as the creator, the sustainer, and the protector of all human life reserves only for himself. He is the creator, so that is his position and his position only. We cannot usurp that position for ourselves and take the life of another human being who is created and exists at the moment of conception. Love does not exist, nor should it ever be falsely advertised as having anything to do with any of those things that are born out of injustice or evil or anything that breaks God's standards. Don't fool yourself. Don't let anyone else fool you into thinking that love is in any way connected towards that thinking or action or behavior. Love has nothing to do with that, but it has everything to do with what Paul writes here as the truth. It has nothing to do with unrighteousness, nothing to do with injustice, nothing to do with wickedness, everything to do with what Paul writes as the truth. 
Now, when Paul writes this word translated into the English as the truth, according to one biblical scholar, he's not just referring to the spoken truth. In other words, Paul is not merely saying that love speaks the truth. That's included in what he's getting at here, but it's much, much more than that. It's much, much bigger than that, what he's getting at here. The truth that Paul is connecting to here is sincerity and straightforwardness. Sincerity and straightforwardness. In other words, love recognizes that perhaps what you've done or are doing is not love, but is in fact evil, and taking the honest and straightforward route and repenting of it. Not, not playing games with it, not manipulating it, but repenting of it. Love recognizes that no matter what it is, God promises to forgive us. Did you know that? In His Word, when we come to Him and confess something that we've done or are doing, God promises to forgive us. Thank you. Amen. He not only promises to forgive us, but cleanse us from that sin. He takes us and makes us new. So maybe there's something in your past that you're struggling with. Really struggling with. Something you've done in your past that you know broke God's standards. It's painful. It's heartbreaking. And you're really struggling with it. Give it over to God. He promises to forgive you. And He promises to cleanse you from that. And He promises to welcome you back with open arms. That's the what we sang about a few minutes ago. Reckless love of God. In addition, the fact that real love rejoices in the truth means that real love rejoices in not playing games with other people's emotions, in not being manipulative towards other people, in not pretending to be a person you're not. Real love does not deceive others. Real love is truthful. Real love gets what needs to be gotten right with God and living from that point on is straightforward, moving on from that. Living from that point forward in straightforwardness. Real love does not play games with God's clear standards in His Word. Bending them and twisting them to get away with what is clearly sin. Sincere and straightforward real love simply takes God's standards in His Word at face value and seeks to simply live life pleasing to God with no caveats, strings attached, or, or, yeah, but my life is different. I get that there's God's standards in His Word, but my life is different. My life is different than that. My life circumstances are different than anybody else in God's Word or anybody He's speaking to here. My life circumstances are different because of this and this and this. Real love is simple. That's what Paul is getting at here. Real love is simple. It's straightforward. Real love is simple. Real love is just seeking to love and please God by following His commandments however best we can in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Real love is a simple trust in God that He will take care of us even when following what we know He wants us to do is scary. You can admit it. It's scary to follow God sometimes and to do what we know He wants us to do. But real love is a simple trust that He will still take care of us 
even when we obey him. Real love is a simple trust in God that he will take care of us even when following what we know he wants us to do is scary or inconvenient or is even painful. The first and greatest commandment that God gives of loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and obedience to him and trust in him then automatically flows into the second commandment that he says is equal in value of loving others, right? First and greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Second commandment, which is equal to that, is love others as yourself. That's what Paul is getting at here when he describes that real and biblical love is rejoicing in the truth. It's rejoicing in living out simple, honest, authentic, sincere, and straightforward love for God by simply trusting Him and simply obeying Him that then flows into living out simple, honest, authentic, sincere, and straightforward love for other people. Like I've said time and time again, here's the problem. We all know this. I'm not, uh, this isn't a surprise to any of us. As humans... We love to complicate everything, don't we? We love to complicate everything. Oh, it depends on the person. It depends on the situation. It depends on this. It depends that. But what Paul is getting at here is love rejoices in the truth. Simple, authentic, sincere, straightforward. That's what love is. It's rejoicing in the simple, honest, authentic, sincere, and straightforward love. We love to think that our individual circumstances are somehow different and outside of everyone else's and different and outside of what God expects in his word. But if we just stop and we strip away all the complication and thinking that any of us are somehow different than anybody else or or who God is addressing in his word, real and biblical love is actually very simple. It can be very difficult sometimes, but it's still very simple and straightforward. Why? Why is it simple and straightforward? Because God's Word is simple and straightforward. God's Word does not play games. God's Word does not bend things and twist things and manipulate things. It tells you how it is. Do this. Don't do this. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as yourself. God's word is straightforward. This simple, sincere, and straightforward understanding of what real and biblical love is directly connects to Paul's last words in this section. So we talked about the simple definition. And secondly, there's only two points this morning, the specific definitions. This is what we'll spend most of our time on. Similar to last week, we're going to look at each of these definitions of characteristics of love one at a time. So firstly, we have this in verse 7. Love bears all things in the NASB. This word translated as bear in the NASB actually comes from the Greek word for, ready? Roof. It comes from the Greek word for roof. And that tells us a lot about what Paul is getting at here. It's the Greek word for roof. This meaning of a roof on a house is directly connected to what Paul is getting at here as a definition of a characteristic of love. 
a roof as a part of a house, especially in uh, the first century Greco-Roman world, both covered over the living space of the house and protected and kept out the elements that threatened to destroy that house. Its primary function was both to cover and to protect. By Paul using this word in a figurative sense, he's saying that real love both covers and protects against the destructive forces of this world, and by doing so, endures or bears all things. Imagine a hurricane hitting a house. That roof, it's shaking, but it is protecting that house from the elements going on outside. In other words, real love protects. Real love protects. Real love stands in between someone else and the evils of this world in order to protect them from those evils of this world. Real love does not invite the evils of this world into your home. Real love does not do that. Real love protects from the evils of this world. Men, this is especially pertinent to us as the God-established leaders of our homes and of our church. So if you fell asleep, wake up. (laughs) Are you doing everything you can to protect your family against the enemy of their souls and the evils of this world? Are you doing everything you possibly can as the leader of your home? That's what real love is. Are you enduring any inconveniences both within and without your family in order to to protect them as best as possible and to display what true love really is? Are you taking your God-established and God-given position as leader seriously? To everyone now, in general, real love endures inconveniences and wrongs and annoyances in order to protect others from the prince of darkness of this world, evil people in this world, and their own self-destruction. Real love protects from all those things. Real love stands against all of those forces and says, I'm going to protect others from this garbage, destruction, and pain in order to display to them what love is and how God loves me and how God loves them. Love bears all things. Next, Paul says, real love believes all things. Real love bears all things. Real love believes all things. This word comes from the same word for faith. According to biblical scholarship, this word could have several different meanings as to who or what the faith is put in, and it all depends on the context. One biblical scholar, therefore, notes that when Paul writes, believes all things here, he is referring in an ethical sense to the goodness of humanity. Now, we know from God's word that the heart of humans is what? From Ecclesiastes. Deceitfully wicked, right? So what are we, what are we talking about when we're, when, we, when we're talking about belief in the goodness of man? We know that the heart of humans is deceitfully wicked above all else. That's what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes. Without Jesus... We are all hopeless in our sin with no inherent goodness except that which is given to us by our salvation found in Jesus. 
So what Paul is primarily probably referring to here is in connection with our spiritual brothers and sisters. There's probably also a connection with not assuming the worst in everyone, but extending the grace and benefit of a doubt towards anyone, regardless of them being a believer in Jesus or not. Paul is obviously not advocating just being naive and blindly thinking everyone has your best interests at heart because he met many, many human enemies who were out to kill him and tried to on multiple occasions. That's not what Paul is talking about here. What he is talking about is he's describing how real love knows that God is transforming every believer in Jesus at different faith levels, and we should be extending grace towards our fellow believers. We know that we're all being grown, we're all being changed, we're all being transformed. God found us at different points of our lives, and therefore we're all at different levels in our faith growth. And so we extend the grace of God to each other. Real love knows that our knee-jerk reaction is not supposed to judge or condemn anyone or think of ourselves as superior to anyone. Real love knows that our only hope is hinged on Jesus. That's any of our, any of our hope. It's hinged on Jesus going to the cross for, for us, rising again from the dead, and the Father having enough grace and love towards us to call us to himself and give us our salvation. We have nothing to hold over anybody else's head. All we have is God's grace, and that's all we have to extend to each other. Real love is knowing that just as we know God is growing and changing us from where he found us, and just as we would want fellow Christian brothers and sisters to extend grace to us and have faith in us and give us the benefit of the doubt and think about what God is doing in our lives, that's how we should see and act and behave towards our brothers and sisters. It's very simple. Next, Paul moves on to love hopes all things. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Whereas the believes all things had more to do with relating to one another, and especially relating to each other as Christian brothers and sisters, all under the umbrella of God's grace, hopes all things has more to do with future confidence. This is what I mean. Believes all things is about us relating to other humans. Hopes all things is about us thinking about God relating to other humans. God relating to humans. In other words, hopes all things is that confidence that as God's word teaches, he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. Real love always holds out that God can and will save anyone and no one is too far gone. That's not our decision to make. That's not our judgment to make. That's God's decision and God's judgment. Real love always prays for and thinks about and loves loved ones who have been walking down the wrong path for decades. Real love does not shy away from telling them about the truth and love of Jesus. No matter how much they don't want to hear it. 
Real love knows that we have no clue who God is going to save and praying without ceasing for those we know that God would finally bring them to a saving faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We have no clue. All we can do is pray. In other words, real love never gives up on anyone. Real love never thinks that they're too far gone or too addicted to something or too self-destructive for God to break into their lives and finally give them the hope that they've been craving their entire lives. Real love always keeps praying for them, for their deliverance, for their freedom, for their peace, and for their hope, all of which we know can only come from Jesus. Lastly, in this section, Paul describes real love is that it endures all things. This last one, and this is why Paul ended it with this, this last one is huge. This is the biggest one here. According to one biblical scholar, in the Greek, this word means to stand one's ground and bear bravely and calmly. That's what this word endures in the Greek means, to stand one's ground bravely and calmly. It's the same exact word and context used in Paul's letter to Pastor Timothy when he wrote, And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. So, I am willing to endure, same word, same context, anything, if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. Whereas the word for bear at the beginning of verse 7 had this idea of standing against in order to protect, this word for endure has this idea of standing for something. Bearing is standing against in order to protect. Endure is standing for something. In connection with the first and greatest commandment, we love God by standing for Him, His standards, His love, and His truth, no matter what. No matter what the persecution we suffer for His name's sake, real love is standing our ground bravely and calmly. How is that possible? How is it possible for us to do that? Because the one for whom we stand gives us the courage and peace in order to do just that. He will never abandon us, no matter how much we suffer for Him out of our love for Him. He will never abandon us. We all need to ask ourselves the question from time to time, how much do I love God? How much really? Do I love Him? How much am I willing to stand ground for Him? Do I love Him enough to endure any and all persecution for Jesus in bravery and peace? How much do we love God? That's the extreme end of the spectrum when it comes to loving God and loving others. But what that extreme description then does is that it takes endures all things and makes it encompass everything else. Because it's at the extreme end of the spectrum, it includes everything that comes before that. 
everything that comes before that. Suffering intensely painful and sacrificial persecution and even death for Jesus is the highest form of enduring all things. What that means for us then is that anything less than that must also be endured in love. You see that? Any annoyance, any inconvenience, any loss, any sacrifice in connection with others is therefore included in this endurance. It's included. That then comes full circle to what we opened up our message time with last week, and it connects with that patience and that long-suffering. Biblical patience does not have a knee-jerk reaction or retaliate to wrongs and annoyances with anger. That is not what biblical patience is. Biblical patience, how Paul describes it, the way he writes it out, is that he means that it extends every wrong and every annoyance far into the unknown future and gives God the chance to do something with it. It removes it from us and anything we want to do with it and extends it far into the future and lets God have a chance to do something with it. Real love stands for enduring any kind of pain, heartache, loss, or sacrifice with bravery and peace. Jesus exemplified this love. He told his disciples, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. These are such simple words, right? But there's so much wrapped up in these words. We are Jesus' friends if we obey his commands. In other words, we show Jesus we love him by following the Father's and therefore his commands. Jesus loved us so much that he gave up his life, and quite extremely painfully, as the greatest act of love towards anyone else. And if we show our love for each other as brothers and sisters by seeking to live out that same kind of love by enduring every annoyance, every disagreement, every hurt in order to love each other, even up to and including sacrificing our lives out of love for Jesus and each other. That's what he's talking about here. That's radical, isn't it? That's real and biblical love. Just like those four chaplains at the beginning of our message Real and biblical love is selfless and radical. Even going so far as to give up your life. Real love truly endures all things, even including willing to sacrifice your life. That's the ultimate meaning and power of what real love is in our lives. Why? Why is that? Why is that the ultimate meaning and purpose and power of what real love is in our lives. Because when people see this kind of selflessly enduring love in our lives for God and towards them, who are they catching a glimpse of? They're catching a glimpse of Jesus. That's who they're catching a glimpse of. That's the power 
of real, true, biblical love is that people catch a glimpse of Jesus when they see it. Others see Jesus when they see us living in and out of his love. That's why Paul said that he would endure all things for the gospel. Because that is when the hardest of hearts will finally see what it's all about. Enduring all things for the gospel. That's when the hardest of hearts will finally see what it's all about. That's when the hardest of hearts will finally get it. It will finally click. That's when the hardest of hearts will finally want Jesus' love for themselves. That's when the hardest of hearts will finally see their need for Jesus and repent and be adopted into God's family. This is what God has called each and every one of us to, and this is what he's growing us all to the point of. You can't get away from it. You can't get away with it. You can't get away from it. This is what God is growing you towards, kicking and screaming if he needs to. Paul writes to the Ephesian church, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ, and that's even including his love, the fullness of his love. That is what God is growing each and every one of us towards right here, the fullness of Christ. This all-enduring love is who Jesus is and what the Holy Spirit is growing us all into each and every day, through each and every situation, in connection with every person we meet. This is what God is growing us towards right here. Like I brought up each week through this whole mini-series on love, we all need to take a hard look at ourselves and see which areas of our lives we're holding back from God and not loving Him or others with this all-enduring and Christ-like love as we surrender more and more of ourselves to the Holy Spirit's transformative power and ask Him to grow more and more of this love in us, we will marvel, we will marvel at what He does in our life and the lives of others. As we started out this mini-series on the power of love, real and biblical love is the most powerful force for God's kingdom on this earth and the changing of hearts, whether they be our own or the hearts of others, love is the most powerful force there is. So let us freely open ourselves up to God pouring out His love into every area of our lives so that it will overflow into the lives of others and make miraculous and powerful change for His kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this powerful message about what real love is, the meaning and power of it. Again, Lord, as, as we've talked about through each of these messages in this mini-series, I pray that we take a hard look at ourselves and see what areas this real love isn't being poured out. I pray that we would surrender more and more of ourselves to you so that we would see you pouring more and more of your love into these areas. And then we would see your kingdom burst forth as hearts are changed and people catch glimpses of Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.